the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And let us catch up as the week is winding down. A lot happening. Uh, President Joe Biden has jetted off to Europe. You've probably seen some of the images. Him with Pope John Oh, Pope John, Pope Francis. Uh, and also then he's off to Scotland this weekend, a bunch of trips. Now, it looks like um, there is things happening, but I have to tell you, it's not looking good. I would say this, that the Biden presidency is pretty much over now. I know that's crazy to say, and I'm being a little bit uh, hyperbolic. I'm exaggerating a bit, but we will get to that in a moment. I think all of the fundamentals now are totally, totally out from under President Joe Biden, and I don't know how he recovers. I don't see a path to him recovering, and we'll get to that in a moment. Also today, we will have an uh, opportunity, a very unique opportunity. We'll talk with Mark Meadows, the former chief of staff to the President of the United States. We'll talk with him about his new book, which is called The Chief's Chief. The Chief's Chief by Mark Meadows, and uh, see what he has to say on everything. And then we'll also talk with a man named Paul De Kenwa, De Kenwa, who is um, talking about academia and what's happening there, and how the wokeness is damaging it. What do you do to fight back? Uh, we got all that. Now, let me start with what you need to know. Uh, by the way, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, and you'll find out a way to sign up for my daily email. Comes Monday through Friday. The Wink, what you need to know. The daily email goes out at 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time. Gives you a few links, a few stories, a few key things, and tells you what you need to know for the day. I hope you'll go to ProAmericaReport.com and sign up there. Also, you can get lots of these great interviews we do and listen again. What do you need to know today? Well, as this week's winding down, we have a wounded, wounded president. President Joe Biden at this point, he has stumbled in Afghanistan. He has stumbled with the supply chain. He has stumbled with inflation. He's stumbled with uh, the uh, gasoline prices. He has stumbled and stumbled. But what he thought was his main advantage was the ability to get his Democrat colleagues in the Congress to pass his big priorities. Two of them, infrastructure and the other, a massive spending package that would sort of do lots of social welfare stuff, paid leave, direct payments to um, uh, poorer people, all this stuff. They're all, it's all falling apart. But here's what you need to know. When Joe Biden held a press conference on Thursday afternoon and said, yeah, we got a deal. And within moments, the Democrats were saying, eh, there's no deal. Um, the progressives were saying, we don't have a deal. And the moderates were saying, it doesn't look like a deal to me. And everybody said, we're not going to do anything until next week. It was a gamble that if you know politics, it smacks of desperation. It actually is wishful thinking. And the reporting on it now is that as soon as uh, Biden announced we have a deal, his cabinet secretaries were calling all these different groups and saying, it's got to be a deal. You got to do it. You got to do it. And it, it looks like it looks like it's actually going to be. It's, it, I, let me say it this way. It looks like the, 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 the most likely scenario now 
is Biden gets some kind of infrastructure, some roads and bridges and things, but nothing of the other, which is really, really, really crazy to say out loud. And on Tuesday, next Tuesday in the Commonwealth of Virginia, where I live, you're going to see a Republican win for governor, and that's going to be the end of the Biden agenda. The Biden presidency will effectively be over, and you will then see all the Democrats jump in ship. Some of them are retiring again, saying that they're not going to run in the House and Senate as they get ready to lose power. Joe Biden jetted off to Europe. He was supposed to go to Rome and then to Scotland as the hero of massive, massive American spending on climate change. He was going to be, they were going, he was going to enter the room in Glasgow especially and have them all stand up and applaud. They were going to say, oh, this is great. Joe Biden, you know, the American president, Trump was against all this climate change, change gobbledygook. And here's, here's Biden. He's bringing the checkbook again. He's throwing money at it again. This is great. Meanwhile, the Chinese are chuckling. They're saying, huh, man, we thought they figured this out. They, we thought they figured out Trump and the rest that they we were just tricking them because the Chinese regime is saying, good, America, spend all tons of money, spend trillions of dollars to get yourself green. We're going to keep doing whatever we want to do over here. We're going to build nuclear. We're going to build coal plants. We don't care. We'll give you the jive. We'll talk jive. We're just not going to do anything about it anyway. So that, that's what Biden was supposed to do. And he's got none of that. He's got none of that. Now, don't get me wrong. There's lots of things that a Biden presidency will continue to do. Things like the national gender strategy, things like agreeing to a settlement, uh, the lawsuit by Andy McCabe, who was fired. And the inspector general, of the FBI said, reported that Andy McCabe lied. And yet Andy McCabe sued the Department of Justice for firing him. And now the Department of Justice under Biden settled. It's going to give him seven hundred thousand dollars and his pension back. And also my, and that's legal because now there's a new guy who's in charge of the federal justice department. It's Biden and Merrick Garland. We have uh, the border still wide open with people flooding in. We have the news that's out and we'll see what it exactly means. But that the, the people who are the, came illegally to America and were separated from their children at the border it was done by Obama. It was done by Trump. You got to assume it's being done by uh, Biden. You can't, you can't arrest a, 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 um, someone for something, detain someone who's an adult and send the kid into a holding cell themselves. You have to do something. Anyway, what's, what's come out in the last day or two is that Joe Biden is negotiating, and, or is at least floating, paying these families $450,000 per child separated from the parents. Think about that. I mean, this is what's going So back to my point, the Biden presidency isn't over, meaning he'll still have huge powers, regulatory and otherwise, and you'll see it all the time. He'll, he'll reverse the Keystone Pipeline. He'll reverse drilling in Anwar. He'll do all kinds of things because our federal government has gotten too powerful, our, especially our executive branch has gotten too powerful. He'll do all kinds of things when it comes to uh, to uh, law enforcement and all the rest. I'm not saying that there there isn't power left in the Biden presidency, but as to the massive agenda that he wanted to do, that's that's fading fast. And Biden has shown not only does he seem doddering, which a lot of us argued, he actually seems just unwilling to do the work. If you want to make deals, you got to make deals. You got to get people in the room. You got to make the deals. They all say that like Biden went up on Thursday morning this week to to Capitol Hill and he signaled to everybody, don't worry about it. You don't have to force a vote. And then everybody, when he left, everyone said, wait, wait a second. Everyone that the Democrats wanted to force a vote, put their own people in a tough spot, but they would ultimately in the world of politics, they would take something. 
What you need to know is that in these spending bills is something for everyone that will vote for it. The reason there were Republicans voting for the bill in the Senate is there was spending in infrastructure, that one, the infrastructure bill, in their states and in the things they thought was important. So they're willing to vote for it. In this massive boondoggle bill, there's lots of stuff that was in it for everybody. At a certain point, you just have to make sure that everybody's got what they need, hold their nose and vote. And Biden is not even sort of making it clear how to do that. He's just giving speeches and then saying, and this is really true. Again, when history's written on this, I hope someone picks up this thread that I've said. Joe Biden is not a president. He's a senator and he's acting as president, meaning he doesn't actually do the presidential things. To be the executive, you have to make decisions, force people's hands. You're going to be the one that makes some people unhappy and other people. When you're a senator, you don't really have to do any of that. You don't actually have to put any, the only people you're really holding accountable are your own staff and they can't make you, you know, the staff can't make you vote. Your colleagues can't make you vote. You do it based on what you want to do. And you don't actually have to be accountable and make people mad. I mean, you might make some people mad, you know, but you, the way to make them less mad is tell them what you want. And then they put it in the bill. So Biden and Biden goes off to his hideaway, Camp David, when Afghanistan was happening and he was he didn't want to come out. He didn't want to because he didn't want to be bothered. He didn't want to have to be put on the spot. A senator does not have to ever get called out to the floor or to the microphones ever if he or she doesn't want to. That's just the facts of life. And that's what Joe Biden, he's acting like he is a senator and not a president. And he's going to see that his presidency is fading into oblivion as he's off in Europe. And here's a secret. Here's what you need to know. I'll finish with this. Once there's blood in the water, as they say, you know, like in the old days, we talk about like sharks. When you go shark, you go out and, and fish and you throw chum in the water and it, 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 it brings the fish to you, especially sharks. When there's blood in the water, when people sense how weak this president is, when Terry McAuliffe loses on Tuesday, when they don't get something passed, they'll start jumping ship and they'll start to distance themselves and even less will be able to be done. Even less will be possible. He will have less leeway to get things moving. That's what we're facing. I would say that President of the United States, Joe Biden, his, his presidency will dramatically change. It won't end, but it's close. Next week, middle of the week. You can bank on that. All right, that's what you need to know. Let's take a break. We come back. We've got Mark Meadows, Chief of Staff to Donald J. Trump, and a lot more. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is nobody. He doesn't need an introduction. His name is Mark Meadows. Uh, For the last year of the Trump administration, he was right at the center. Probably the most extraordinary. Absent maybe World War II or a period of time where the country was at war, there might have never been anything like it because we had the coronavirus come uh, screaming into our lives, the pandemic. We also had the most extraordinary election cycle probably in history, certainly back to, you know, rivaling some of the, the great early uh, elections of our uh, time. And Mark Meadows was the chief of staff to uh, President Trump during that time. He's written a new book. It's called The Chief's Chief. It's out in uh, about uh, five weeks. And, and it will be, I imagine, a massive bestseller because of the insight. It's uh, publishers, All Seasons Press, and we'll make sure to put it all up on social media. So welcome, uh, Chief Mark Meadows. How are you, sir? <laughs> well, Ed, it's great to be with you and all your listeners. And, and, and bluntly, uh, it is not a time to retreat. It's a time to reengage. And it was an honor serving President Trump. And in the book, I tell 
some of the behind-the-scenes stories, but as you know, uh, the, that last year of, of President uh, Trump's first term was really yeah. just uh, uh, a, a dynamic one, a difficult one. Uh, every decision was key, but I tell how the president made not only quick decisions, but some of the best decisions that saved lives, saved our economy, and ultimately uh, put America first. You know, um, we're talking with Mark Meadows. He's now over at the Conservative Partnership Institute. And uh, a lot of the folks have been guests on this show. Uh, Rachel Bovard is one of them. Cleta Mitchell, as you said, are charging towards the fight. Uh, back when you in, in your time, you'd been a businessman, successful businessman, ran a campaign for office, won, served in Congress, been a leader up there. But there's nothing like being chief of staff. I, I, even to, I did the governor stint, but you're at the presidency. But when when you look at um, how exhausting that year was for the conservatives, a lot of people, a lot of conservatives felt like, man, we put it all out there. Whether it was stolen or not doesn't matter. We put it all out there. We tried our best. We trusted the system. It didn't work. Uh, for a lot of people, what you said at the beginning, we've got to sort of take a deep breath and get ready to charge in because they, they, part of their game is to exhaust us. Well, it is to exhaust us and to, to discourage us. And, and I'll be the first to admit, you know, on January 20th, when uh, President and I said goodbye from uh, uh, the last time as our professional side of things, and, you know, I still talk to him almost daily now, uh, it, it was depressing. It was discouraging. You know, we, we had seen some voter fraud that had not only affected the outcomes, but uh, could, could potentially continue to plague us and that we're working hard to, to make sure we correct that. But here's the other thing. The left will not win if we stay engaged. There are more of us than there are of them from coast to coast uh, across the, uh, the uh, shining uh, plains of, of the Midwest <laughs> yeah. all the way to the coast of California. But here's the other thing that we've, we've got to understand, Ed is when we stay engaged and when the voice of the American people uh, continue to get highlighted, it makes a difference. It's making a difference right now in Virginia, where you see uh, Mm -hmm. the Republican candidate for governor has sided with parents, parents that this DOJ and some in the establishment uh, of the Democrat Party have said are domestic terrorists, and yet uh, Youngkin has sided with them, uh, McAuliffe is sided with the teachers unions and what we'll see, I believe, is a Republican governor elected in Virginia. Yeah, I'm, and I live in the northern Virginia now, so my listeners hear me often talk about exactly what you said. The the engagement people are, are fired up, uh, as you say, and and I think it's uh, it is going to be a big uh, a big day Tuesday. The book again is the Chief's Chief. It's coming out in about six or eight weeks or so. We'll we'll promote it more as we get closer. But I, I want to ask you for a second about the experience of being in that White House. Uh, in this sense, uh, many five years ago now, I asked one of America's most decorated army men. Uh, his name is General Jack Singlob, and he's, he turned 100 a few months ago. And uh, I asked him about the deep state. This is about five years ago. And I said, you know, what's the deal with the deep state? Now, he was a founder of the CIA, the OSS. He was a kid in the OSS. He went all the way up through. He got fired by Carter, all kinds of things. And he said, it's not so much, Ed, that there is one set of meetings where they talk about what to do. It's that the bureaucracy ends up against you know, the, the position, the conservative position. And, you know, uh, we're talking again, Mark Meadows. Mark, when you're in that White House and you're watching a lot of big government being used against 
the, the, the duly elected president. Like, you may not like it, but if the guy wins the big job, he gets to say, I'm going to go this direction. And, and I really, you know, I think a, a lot of um, the success he had was in spite of that. But I wonder, I shake my head and wonder what would have been like if there hadn't been the, the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, the Mueller investigation, if there hadn't been some of the DOJ and FBI shenanigans. And, you know, you're sitting in a chair, you have to do your job and, and get briefings on a million things, not just one thing. Um, but it, it is ex- extraordinary to see how much the, the, the bureaucracy seemed to work against President Trump. Well, they it did, and I, I cover that in the book. Ed. And here's the interesting thing: is he's uh, the general was right. It's not necessarily that they hold a meeting and say we're going to go after this particular issue. It's just constant throughout the entire bureaucracy. And sadly, uh, even in the Trump administration, where some of the people that were hired early on did not have the president's mm-hmm. back, and and. Uh, and what I told the president, uh, you know, leading into uh, September, October of 2020, I said, sir, we've got to be prepared uh, to let a lot of people go and 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 rehire. And, and he said, Mark, I wish we knew then what we know now. And, uh, you know, here was a business guy coming from New York, coming in. And yet uh, they tried to cancel his voice out each and every time whether it was at the State Department at Foggy Bottom or the Department of Defense over at the Pentagon, you know, they wanted to fight back oftentimes uh, against the president that really was uh, had a mandate from the American people to get things done. Uh, just like they try to cancel your voice out and all those that are listening right now, the left would love to make us silent. And uh, that's uh, we, we cover this in the book. We, we talk about how we need to continue to speak up in spite of of the left trying to this cancel culture kind of mentality that's going going forward uh, we're, <clears throat> excuse me. We're talking with Mark Meadows and Mark Meadows, of course, a chief of staff to uh, to the president of the United States, President Trump in the last year, the incredible year. Uh, he is now uh, one of the leaders of the Conservative Partnership Institute. Uh, he's he's over there with Jim DeMint uh, doing important stuff and uh, CPI.org. A lot of the good folks there. Um, Mark, you were in business. You actually, I, I love this part. You, you had a restaurant first. Then you were a real estate guy. Then you went to Congress. Um, so you weren't you didn't get you were in Congress, I think, for six or seven years, not for 28 years like a lot of people. So you'd seen this whole thing when you look at what's happening in this country right now you know when you look and you say okay we got inflation you're in restaurant business i mean i keep hearing from my friends that when inflation goes when food prices go up it just gets passed right on you you, there's no way you can hide when when uh, the price of cooking oil is up 40 percent when you look around this country as much as we all feel like our basics are good. We have smart workers. We've got the right kind of people and all the, the system of living together. Ultimately, it feels like we're sliding a lot and quickly. And can that be stopped before we're in real trouble? Well, I, it, we are sliding quickly. Can it be stopped? The answer is yes. Will it be stopped? I'm not as optimistic. Joe Biden has kind of a knock on wood mentality. He doesn't have a plan or a strategy. Uh, President Trump and I were talking about this just the other day. Uh, there are a number of things that could be done to make sure that gas prices come down, that the, the price of groceries come down, that the supply chain is fixed. And had uh, President Trump been in the uh, Oval Office when some of these things were confronting us, uh, we would have been working around the clock to get it done. Joe Biden is 
what is he, you know, he's, he's going a, across the pond to hopefully get more favorable press from the Pope who wouldn't even, uh, <laughs> the Pope wasn't right. even willing to put him on, on live TV for uh, fear of what yeah. he might say. <laughs> he knows that uh, right. f- uh, falling uh, polling is not good for him either. But, you know, here's the interesting thing is uh, when we look at what could and should happen, we've got to, we've actually got to embark on a plan. We've got to quit begging OPEC for lower ga- gas prices. We need to unleash the 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 might of the uh, American uh, business community to actually do what we we know how to do is put people to work and quit paying people not to work. And uh, and sadly, all the policy coming out of Washington, D.C. right now is going the wrong direction. Um, but uh, we it, it is time again that we reengage all those that are listening right now, all all the folks that are listening to the sound of our voice, if they will not give up, we've seen tougher times than this in our uh, in our history. Uh, yeah. I'm optimistic that 2022 and 2024 will bring some better results. Right. All right. We're talking Mark Meadows. I just got a little bit of time, but I, I can't resist plugging my favorite idea. First of all, I want to make sure to say the book again is called The Chief's Chief by Mark Meadows. It's out uh, in a few, maybe five or six weeks. We'll make sure to plug it. And uh, and it is uh, everywhere you buy books, of course. Um, so but here's the thing, Mark, I, I if we win the House next year, you know, the Speaker of the House doesn't have to be a member of the House. So I've been I, I floated the idea of Speaker Trump, but that may be too much for people to take or he may not want. How about Speaker Mark Meadows? Because I'm being serious. <laughs> when i say this if we if we no, if I we elect you. I, I, you're, you're very well but, you know, but i mean and I'm, I'll let me say why i'm serious I, I really don't mind who's the speaker but if we get a speaker who does the same old same old they come out and say we're gonna have a really good tax plan we're gonna have a really good regulatory plan the the maga differential in this country needs to see that the speaker is gonna be bold right and and i just don't know if we don't go bold i fear 2024 well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And you're right. The speaker doesn't have to be uh, someone elected to Congress. Uh, here, here's what we have to do. is It cannot just be a speaker with an R behind their name. Uh, the right. auditions are happening now. Uh, I, I can't tell you. You and I know each other well. We know our, uh, from a standpoint, I am one that believes that actions are what is required People are tired of electing the same people and getting the same results, regardless of whether they're a Democrat or Republican. And so I'm all in. The audition is open for who the next speaker is going to be. Uh, And if we can't find a member of Congress, we need to find somebody outside of Congress to become that speaker. Uh, Perfect. uh, I like that. I I like that speaker Trump. That's pretty good. It may be too (laughs) too bold, but I like that pretty well. Yeah. It would be. I mean, and 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 then you could be you could be chief of staff to the speaker of the house too. This gets more and more historic. All right, I'll leave you go. Mark Mark Meadows again. He's over a very important CPI dot org, uh, the Conservative Partnership Institute. I told you Ed Corrigan's over there. Cleta Mitchell, Ray, Rachel Bovard, people that are really know how this uh, works. And he is, uh, excuse me, Mark Meadows is leading there. And again, his book is the Chief's Chief. We'll have you on again, sir. Thank you for the time and uh, uh, keep up the fight. We are, we're encouraged by your your words. We will uh, keep up the fight yourself. God bless you. Take care. Okay. Thanks very much. Mark Meadows, everybody. I'll put it all up on social media. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is the author of a book. It's called Cancel Culture, Tales from the Front Lines, just out a few days ago, uh, available. And his name is Paul Ducanois, and he is also the president of, let me get it right, let me get it right, Paul, sorry, the uh, Palm Beach Freedom Institute. And so, Paul, welcome to the pro, doctor, sorry, Dr. Ducanois, welcome to the program. How are you? Thank you. I'm very happy to be here today. Before I get to uh, your book and to this recent column that caught my eye, uh, I noticed in your bio that you've got a Ph.D. in history uh, from Georgetown University. And I have a niece that goes there, is enrolled there. She's I think she's a, technically a sophomore. Her first year she was in the midst of the pandemic. I don't even know if she was on campus. But And I, I was educated by Jesuits at high school, college, even did some graduate work. Um, but these schools have gone bonkers. And, and, and I wonder how is um, Georgetown University has an extraordinary history of scholarship and of educating men and women extraordinarily well. How's the history department at Georgetown? Well, it's changed a lot since I was there. I got my degree in 2005, and I had a wonderful advisor who sadly is uh, no longer with us. But um, it has gone full woke. And in fact, you may have seen an earlier column of mine on Newsmax where it talks about the School of Foreign Service at Georgetown. This was once the premier institution for training U.S. diplomats. It has now decided to make anti-racism a pillar of its mission. Not training diplomats, but instructing them to hate themselves for being white and also to make sure that that they bow down before diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, it's amazing to me that uh, how quickly some of these things change that were like that forever. You know, I mean, th- th- there was an op-ed in the in the in the I think New York Times by a, a, a well-credentialed classics professor at Princeton, happens to be Af- African American, but he was arguing against. Uh, he was arguing to remove teaching Latin and Greek that it's too burdensome on people of, of various socioeconomic backgrounds. So you can go to Princeton and be a classics major, he wants to argue, and not study Latin and Greek. You're like, what, what, this is a, it, it sounds like a sounds like a Saturday Night Live skit. So anyway, but all right, back to your, the piece that caught well, my sorry, eye. I'm very uh, sorry to tell you, Ed, but, but that, that actually is policy at Princeton now. That was adopted by the classics department. Wow. But it's, it's not even yeah. a suggestion anymore. That this, this is not the reality. You do not have to major in Latin or Greek to major in classics at Princeton University. You don't have to have any knowledge of those languages. Wow, amazing. All right. Uh, so, and again, we're talking with uh, uh, Dr. Paul Ducanois, and we'll talk about his book in a moment, but a recent column over on Newsmax, uh, Newsmax.com, Fighting Wokeness in Academia Works. I drew some hope from this uh, because you're describing that you can push back. Uh, d- d- tell us uh, and you can succeed. I, it mostly feels like you can't, but uh, walk us through what you're talking about in this piece. Well, this, this piece was about specifically a case very sad case at the University of Michigan, where a award-winning music composer uh, called Bright Shang, who teaches in the composition department of the music school of the University of Michigan, taught a class and showed a screen adaptation, a film version of Laurence Olivier performing Shakespeare's Othello. Now, the film was made in 1965, so Laurence Olivier appears in blackface. And for that reason, he was denounced as a racist uh, the subject of a petition signed by 33, ultimately, of his colleagues and students demanding that he be removed and subject to a disciplinary harassment investigation. Now, in this case, the pushback apologized for any hurt he may have caused. That just made them matter. They were like sharks smelling blood in the water. They came at him harder than they did before. At that point, people started to stand up, myself included in that column, and they pushed back very hard on the University of Michigan, arguing that this was terrible for academic freedom, that this had a complete, sort of complete ignorance 
not only of our vast cultural heritage, but also of how music and composition should be taught, that it was way too solicitous to students and their sensitivities. And that seems to have worked. This massive media campaign that was generated uh, did cause the University of Michigan to drop its disciplinary harassment investigation of Professor Shang. Uh, in an ironic twist, he's a Chinese-American composer who had actually survived the Cultural Revolution in China. The communists came and took his family's piano when he was a little boy. He was sent to a remote province to work exclusively in Chinese folk music because Western music was considered to be banned and taboo. And then he lands in America, where he has a very distinguished career. He won a MacArthur Genius Fellowship about 20 years ago. He was twice nominated wow. for the Pulitzer Prize for Music. His uh, work has been performed by major symphony orchestras around the world, huh. and yet he falls into another cultural revolution-style trap. But by pushing back, we made a real point, and one of the things I'm proudest of in this particular case, the Palm Beach Freedom Institute, of which I'm president, is commissioning him to write an original piece of music that will be performed by the Palm Beach Symphony in a year or two. Uh, when they have time wow. to put it in this program. So we were able to, hmm. uh, we're raising funds for that right now, and just to make sure that he has this, and we've asked him to compose literature on the topic of freedom. So when you fight hmm. back, it works. A lot of people, there are a lot of perfectly respectable conservatives who complain about cancel culture, but they're simply not willing to do anything about it. When you do something about it, however, like any group of bullies, the counselors back down. Almost every... Uh, we're, again, we're... we're uh, we're talking with uh, Dr. Paul Adukanwa, and uh, he is, his also has a book out, Cancel Culture, Tales from the Front Lines, and as he mentioned, uh, his recent piece, which I'll put up, it's, it's, it is fascinating. I, I, didn't, I guess I didn't um, track it closely enough, the, um, the, that, this gentleman's history, uh, extraordinary, so um, uh, amazing to, to hear all that. Um, uh, tell, me, tell me, by the way, first of all, Paul, Palm Beach Freedom Institute, give me a website for that, because I didn't get it here in my notes. I want our listeners to be able to track down more we're doing, and then I want to ask you about the book. So tell me the website, sure. though, for your, the organization. The website is www.palmbeachfreedom.org. Okay. PalmBeachFreedom.org. Good. All right. So now back to the book, Tales from the Front Lines. Um, you know, you're, you've taught across the country. You've taught in Amer American universities across the country. Uh, what's, the, what's, the, um, what's the common denominator in these woke, uh, uh, woke situations? It feels like the last year or two, maybe three, we've seen more attention on them. But now we're seeing people fight back more. But I guess, is this cancel culture? It's not new. It didn't happen this year. It's been going on for, uh, for a while. And, and give me some sense of the, what the front lines look like these days. The front lines are essentially this. this. This is what motivates woke people. They believe that your civil rights, your right to free expression, your right to free speech is an obstacle to their vision of social justice. And that your vision of what it is to be an American, what we're all taught for more than 200 years now, is completely anathema, that it blocks what they want to do. And fundamentally what this is about, Ed, is about power and control. They want the ability to regulate your thoughts and your speech so that you can become compliant to an administrative managerial caste in our country that controls broadly many of our institutions, including educational institutions, and that your attempts to deal constructively with that, to push back, to assert your right of re-expression, to explore your other constitutional rights, is a threat. So they, they want to make you stop doing that. What I've done in the book is chronicle a number of cases in which this has happened in the last year and a half, and also 
tried to orient it toward successful pushback. How have people fought against it? It's very easy to write for a journalist to write outrage copy. And if you read National Review, it's full of outrage copy. It is not full of solutions. Right. And the most recent pieces I've read about this suggest that the best thing we can do is just sort of twiddle our thumbs, keep our heads down, and wait for better times to come. Better times are never going to come. We are only one generation away from losing liberty at any moment in this country. And if we remain complacent, like so many of our conservative elites would prefer us to do, right, we, we become the party of gracious losers. I'm against that. My institute's against that. My book's against that. I hope all of you <laughs> listeners are against that. Because it's disgusting. We've uh, been it, let down time and again by the conservative elites in Washington and New York. It's time for them to be ignored, which they largely are anyway. They produce almost nothing of value. And outside of that swamp, outside of that matrix that a great president wanted to drain once, uh, we in Palm Beach are able to stand and fight without reference to them. Uh, we're talking again with uh, Dr. Paul Ducanois. His book is Cancel Cultures, uh, Cancel Culture, Tales from the Front Lines. Uh, last question on this. Are, are, do you sense the momentum in our favor? I, I know what you just said, and I agree with you, that for too long, the uh, the establishment in Washington, call them the conservative establishment, I think they're a lot like, not that conservative, but conservative ink, it's uh, sometimes called, was happy to make... Yeah. a. Yeah, make a living. They were happy to make a living and uh, congratulate each other around uh, certain, you know, kind of uh, uh, ideas and not fight. Um, do you feel like the the movement is on its toes now moving forward? Uh, do you I, I'm, I'm afraid I'll tell you the truth. I'm afraid right now watching some of the things that are going on. You're seeing uh, a resurgence of the elites and up in I'm in the swamp and I hear from the swamp monsters all the time. They say, you know, it's going great now. Now, if Trump would just stay away, it's, it's much better. And I'm thinking you just want Trump to stay away because he knows how to fight. But do you feel like in the terms of the cancel culture that we're we're on the move or are people learning that? Are you optimistic? Give me your sense on that. I'm highly optimistic. And 64% of Americans, it has been reliably studied, uh, oppose cancel culture. They believe it is a significant threat to their personal freedom. That figure includes 48% of Democrats. I have found in my experience that this is a bridge issue, that you can connect with Democrats on cancel culture, even when you have disagreements on other policy issues. Uh, I think President Trump's leadership on this has been splendid. Uh, Cats fighting cats culture is a major part of the continuing rallies he's been having around the country and his very valuable public activism. I do not see conservative Inc. doing anything about cancel culture. They usually just kind of shrug their shoulders and fix up their bow ties and think that it won't come for them until it does. Um, and, and then, yeah, I think in the national level, we are seeing a great deal of movement forward. More and more people understand what this is, where this is going. And need to understand it needs to be resisted. One of the most encouraging signs is the local school boards. The local school boards who are now uh, standing up, the parents standing up against those local school boards and the school committee meetings. We see this broadcast almost daily now. These are real heroes. They are not getting the support they need from the conservative ink establishment. They're getting it from the outliers like Senator Pauley, like Senator Cotton, really brave individuals who have placed this week the Attorney General on the map in Congress, calling for his resignation, for saying that op- opponents of critical race theory are domestic terrorists. Uh, th- th- these are, are, are true heroes. These should be the party leaders, not the Mitch McConnells, certainly not these Heritage Foundation people who do basically nothing but write worthless white papers. Um, they, they, they just ignore, ignore the swamp people 
and don't do anything they tell. Do the opposite of whatever they tell you. This is this is, this is what <laughs> yeah. I would say. All right. Um, well, listen. It, uh, again, if, uh, if you look broadly at the numbers too, President Trump's support in the yeah. Republican Party is now significantly higher than it was even before the election. Yep. Right. yep. All right, much, listen, much more I, I control now than before. I've got to run uh, Dr. Paul Dukenwa. His book is Cancel Culture's Tales from the Front Lines. His piece over there on Newsmax.com, the one that caught my eye, was Fighting Wokeness in Academia Works. Appreciate your time very much, sir. And we'll put up on uh, social media. Make sure to highlight the work of the Palm Beach Freedom Institute. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Ed. Have a good day. You too. We'll take a quick break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up over there for the daily email, as well as all these interviews and stand- uh, segments are created into standalone links. You can go listen and uh, pass them around on social media uh, and listen again. We'll take a break. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, from the Phyllis Schlafly Center Studios, Ed Martin. The phrase, guns don't kill people, people kill people, is a popular axiom in the firearms community. With this in mind, perhaps it's easy to see why the U.S. government shouldn't have given hundreds of thousands of guns and an entire Air Force to Middle Eastern terrorists. Some $85 billion worth of America's most advanced military technology was left behind in Afghanistan, a shocking revelation that by itself would justify President Biden's removal from office, in my opinion, although his entire national security team should go with him. Biden has given new meaning to the term cut and run by abandoning American citizens while permitting an immense cache of advanced weapons to be used against them. We're not just talking about a few guns or hand grenades, by the way. The abandoned American equipment includes more than 100 helicopters, 22,000 Humvees, 8,000 trucks, 64,000 machine guns, and 358,000 assault rifles. And this is according to the nonpartisan U.S. Government Accountability Office. Congressman Jim Banks, Republican of Indiana, who's in the House Republican leadership after serving with our troops in Afghanistan, observed that the Taliban has more Black Hawk helicopters than 85% of the countries in the world. At least 33 Black Hawk helicopters are in the Taliban's hands right now. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan previously admitted that the Biden administration lacks a complete picture of all the military equipment it left behind. In addition, databases of Americans and our allies with all of their data in it have probably been left with the Taliban too. Whatever the exact numbers are with regards to the equipment left behind, the number of lives lost as a result of this terrible mistake is even more tragic to contemplate. Where are the gun control advocates when you need them? Unsurprisingly, American gun control advocates have largely been silent. If they won't step outside of their political echo chamber, conservatives will have to raise the alarm for them. President Biden's horrible Afghanistan withdrawal blunder is a national disgrace and an international disaster. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. America is safe only when America is strong. Our national defense requires the most modern technology and best trained soldiers, and there should be no social politics or idle threats coming out of Washington. At phyllisschlafly.com, we take this work very seriously. Please visit phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. Great to be with you again. Have a great weekend, everybody. We're heading into the weekend. I just got a minute or so because we had such great interviews. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com and sign up for the Daily Wink as well as uh, check out these great interviews. Let's finish on an upbeat note. I hope it's great weather where you are and you have a great weekend. But it's time to celebrate Adam Kinzinger, the so-called Republican from Illinois, who has spent the last couple of years just just blindly being anti-Trump and thinking he would be congratulated. He will. He'll probably be rich. He, I'll tell you, he's going to be rich. He announced early Friday that he will not run for re-election. And um, I think he couldn't win a Republican primary. He had people running against him. I'm not surprised at all at this. In fact, I predicted this. But here's what I, you know, I just begrudgingly will admit to you. He'll be a multimillionaire within the next couple of years. He'll get a book deal. He'll be on CNN getting a half a million dollars a year to be a contributor. I mean, the system, the swamp rewards the people that play along. And Adam Kinzinger has played along. He's the window dressing on the January 6th commission with uh, Liz Cheney. And so good riddance, at least out of the Congress. But it'll make me sick to watch the wealth he acquires and accumulates for being a stooge uh, for the establishment, the media and everybody else. But at least he's not running again. So uh, good riddance, Adam Kinzinger. All right, everybody. Thank you, Noah Dingley, our great producer. And uh, Joanna for booking our guests. And have a great weekend, everybody. We will be back next week. It's Ed Martin. It's the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.